This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Monday, February 22nd, 2021. And it is time, ladies and gentlemen, for Morning Combat. Hello, donks. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm from CBS Sports. And uh, yeah, that's about it. And uh, I am joined by the gentleman on the other side of the screen. He is the apathy to myself titled, the conspiracy to my theory, the cue to my anon. It is the one and only Brian, the king of Connecticut, Campbell. Hi, Brian. How are you? Uh, battling through a, uh, <laughs> a fairly gnarly case of seasonal winter. It won't stop from being frozen, cold, and snowy depression, Luke. I feel old. I feel like a beat-up truck. I turn the engine, but the engine doesn't turn. Well, that's a great way to start today's show. I'm glad to hear that you are pumped, primed, and ready to rock. That's fun. You had a lot of talking to do before the show. What happened? I was here. I was here through the whole pre-show meeting. I don't know, Luke, what, were you putting out fires in Abuela's room? I have no idea where you were. I was here. I was here. I was getting ready. Uh, All right. Well, I don't know how Brian's going to be, but I'm happy to be here. Um, Let's see. We have a lot to do today. We have to talk about, let's see, we have the UFC card over the weekend. We have the Showtime boxing card over the weekend. We have the ESPN boxing card from top rank over the weekend. Your questions, Brian's have you seen this shit, and a whole lot more. So, to get things started, please give the video a thumbs up as my daughter screams for bloody murder just outside the door, only when the show starts. You can subscribe as well. Uh, let's see, if you want to try Showtime, you certainly can. 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can pounce sand. And if you subscribe, I believe you get, for the Bellator deal, I believe you get uh, $4.99 for the first six months. Or you can buy merch. SBC is uh, kindly modeling for us over there. You have hats, beanies, shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. What else we got? Tumblers, mugs, the whole nine yards. Store.show.com is the place Look, to be. What, yes? what would you prefer at this point? World Peace or international shipping for MK products? Your choice. Oh, international shipping. World Peace wouldn't last anyway. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's just All a right. moment in time. Uh, fuck that. I'm trying, to get some, I'm trying to get some merch to some folks in Poland. <laughs> Yeah, I got to get them women off the pole. Let's put them in some MK clothes. Yes, exactly. Yes, right. Exactly. Uh, all right. So that's that. Um, BC, by the way, my tip from Friday was for folks to watch Assassins, the documentary on the assassination of King Jong- Kim Jong-nam. I must have gotten a dozen emails from folks saying that they love the movie. You oh. watched last night Letters from Iwo Jima. Did it tear you up? 
That was uh, $2.99 on Amazon Prime, by the way. That was in, an incredible watch. Luke, I, you know, you recommended this. I purposely didn't do any research. I knew Clint Eastwood and Spielberg were involved, though, so I knew it, would, right. you know, it had a chance to be great. But what a, what a deep human portrayal of the quote-unquote enemy side as an American that really was uh, touching, gripping. Uh, wow. What a, what a piece of art, Luke, okay? Piece From one art. artist to another. Last thing on this, the reason why the movie is so good and it's so realistic is aside from where it was shot and how it was portrayed and everything, but folks don't realize this, when World War II started, BC, just to make, we'll get to the show in just a second, I swear to God, but uh, the the Japanese warrior, the professional class of fighter was as good as the Americans, if not better, but what ended up happening and the reason why the Americans partly won the war is that they were able to take someone off the street, train them in basic training, then occupational school, and then send them off to fight, and they were pretty good. They actually could do that. The Japanese, it turned out, were not good at that. It took them a long time to get somebody ready to be that professional class. So you see in this movie this guy who's a a, a baker. He literally makes fucking croissants, but the Japanese had to draft him because they could not figure out how to take someone like that and turn him into a warfighter. So they were just drafting whoever they could and sending him out there. And by the time Iwo Jima happened, they were on their last legs. Um, just a fantastic movie in every Can way. you solve something real it. quick for me, Luke? I mean, it's our show. We can delay the shit out of this. I don't care, all right? You know what I'm saying? It's snowing and icy outside. What else do I got to do? Um, right. I, I respect and they adequately portrayed the idea of a Japanese warrior, like you're saying, somebody who wants to die for the country and the emperor and believes, you know, in the in the afterlife they will be rewarded for that. Why were, spoiler alert, so many of those soldiers when times got hard, though, so willing to off themselves rather than instead just turn into enemy fire and go out with a blaze of glory. Uh, I, I, I would be speaking a little bit out of turn, but I do believe, and this should be double-checked, and if I'm dead wrong, I'll eat the dead wrong. It's okay. But uh, my understanding is there might be something from Shintoism involved in there, or it simply could be the sort of a cultural practice where suicide doesn't have the same meaning in Japanese societies it might in American society. I think it happens with a little bit more regularity and in wider circumstances than it might happen here here it's sort of uh, a function of like utter despondence and uh, mental illness and uh, or end of life scenarios and those apply over there as well but there is just a little bit more there they don't have i don't think the same kinds of taboos but if i'm wrong about that by all means please. yeah they were shaming uh, the soldiers who still wanted to fight it was weird but you know i'll tell you what the movie was so good it had me cheering against the americans and the only other <laughs> organization to do that previous was risen so shout out to uh clint eastwood and company okay. all right well with that's with that uh segue in mind let's get this show started if we can topic number one bc topic number one our man, Derek Lewis, who you interviewed back in, I don't even know what it was at this point, he viciously KOs Curtis Blades, does so in the second round, maybe getting arguably the best win of his career. The Volkov win was certainly more dramatic, but in terms of a ranked opponent, this actually might be the very best one. BC, your thoughts on the win, and more importantly, here's the operative question to start the conversation about Saturday's main event. Is it time to reevaluate just how good we think Derek Lewis is not so much his ranking that will go up by virtue of the win, but what we think about how good he actually is. 
Yeah, I think I think this is like a positive referendum and a reassessment time. It, it's he's not without flaws, right? We know that he's the epitome of puncher's chance. And even though he's on a four-fight win streak now, you can obviously poke holes in some of those wins. The Latifi fight, the split decision before that was that against uh, Olenek. I mean, he's had some some rough ones there yet. I mean, this was a reminder of how great he can be when things are going his way. And, you know, he didn't dominate this fight. I didn't think he was winning it up to that point. He was kind of getting pieced up on the feet by Blades. But it was such an intelligent and violent and shocking finish that he could do that. Not that he could do that, Luke. We know he could do that. But that he did do that against a guy so well-rounded as Blade, so red hot, who'd won 9 out of 10 and had already seemingly secured a title shot but was forced to wait because of how uh, bottleneck the top of the division is at the moment. Yeah, I think it kind of makes us go when you start hearing the records that he ties Vitor Belfort for the most knockouts in UFC history, you know, regardless of division, that he now has 20 career knockouts. And this is a guy who said it himself in the post-fight press conference when when they sort of asked him, you know, you're, you're making history. What does that mean to you? And he's like, you know, I wasn't an MMA fan growing up. This is a, a business to me. This is a way to feed my family. You know, Derek Lewis did jail time in the past. He's as unlikely, Luke, to get to this point as possible. But yet, I think even in the last few years, I looked at him as more of a a a colorful I don't want to say joke because joke implies that there's that there's not substance there, but certainly a colorful clown who can be dangerous when he when he gets lucky or when he wants to be. Uh, I think there was a calculated nature to how he finished this fight and in how he set up this exact finish happening, and to see him do it, yes, with that mixed with the with the numbers, the record tying, you do have to t- ask yourself at 36, he's kind of only getting better, and this is yes, the best win of his career. And do we have to re- recalculate where he sits right now in this title picture, Luke? Because I don't know, man. You know, when he fought DC for the belt, I felt at the moment like it was out of central casting. UFC didn't have a main event for that return to Madison Square Garden. They wanted to make a splash. Fights were falling through. They knew they had DC on a short turnaround. They kind of wanted to give him a good B-side dance partner that he could beat. They gave him Derek Lewis. He tried his best. He got dominated, Luke. I, I said it before, I thought that was going to be the end of elite Derek Lewis. I thought that was going to be the peak for him to kind of repackage himself, do it his own way, and now be as dangerous as ever. Yeah, Luke, we got to stop and reassess where he fits in right now in the actual title picture, and not so much where does he fit in sort of all time, but like, this is a guy who's for, willed himself into an elite status the the doing it his own way and 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 you do have to tip your cap to that because you put him in there against any heavyweight it's not going to be likely that he's going to win the betting odds won't really reflect his chances yet he proved in this fight against Curtis Blades any given night he's as live as anybody this has been a fun ride watching watching uh the black beast get to this point and uh the whole idea of him being a a clown a joker I think that takes a back seat right now. He's a legitimate heavyweight title contender and a threat, and I'm proud of him in a lot of ways, as weird as yeah, that sounds. I think that's exactly right. I mean, you know, it's funny. So to, to when we were planning the show yesterday, we were, we were discussing how we were going to make this the, the, the opening topic. So I went back through his record, and I watched some of his early fights, some of the wins, and then some of the losses as well. The loss to Mitrion, uh, the win over Gonzaga, the loss to, who was it, Sean Jordan was one of the earlier losses that I watched. And I watched a bunch of other fights as well. You know, it's interesting. The reason why I think a lot of folks, um, maybe uh, us included, need to have this moment where we're saying to ourselves, wow, is he better than we thought he was? Is because 
his weapons didn't really change, BC. It wasn't like he started wrestling. It wasn't like he started using a bunch of kicks. It wasn't like he, you know, started going to the body in some kind of unusual way or just had some kind of standout brand new technique that he was using that he wasn't before that you could maybe point to as something as like a turnaround moment. That's not really it. What the difference is, is that if you watch, like, for example, go back and watch the Gonzaga fight or uh, the Sean Jordan fight, the two losses that I referenced, or the, one of the losses, one of the wins. But in both cases, it's the same. You have Derek Lewis charging opponents over and over, really overcommitting and then having to defend takedowns or finding himself at the wrong range because he's rushing into stuff and then getting cracked. Now he's much more patient. He's turned into something of a kickboxer, uh, a counter kickboxer in some ways than he was before, certainly in this contest. He has figured out, okay, I've got really big power. If I pace myself on the ground and I find unique ways to stand up, I don't take a lot of damage and guys can't really advance on me positionally, not too much anyway. I'm safe against the fence for the most part, Daniel Cormier notwithstanding. Um, what can I do with that? And if you employ patience, timing, and then an understanding, you hear he was throwing stuff up the middle. Anytime you fight somebody who's a wrestler, snap kicks up the middle, uppercuts up the middle, knees up the middle, all of these are going to be really valuable kinds of tactical choices. So he makes smarter tactical choices with the weapons he already has. He makes smarter tactical choices with distance closing, counter striking, timing, that kind of a thing. He can see everything coming. And so as a consequence, he has not new weapons, but the weapons have new life by virtue of this maturation, this development, this seeing the game for all it is. It kind of reminds me, BC, of a quarterback who would just like, got to get the ball out fast, and then you throw a pick because you're not making the right reads. Here he's taking just enough time to work through his progressions, see who's open, and then find the open receiver. And again, it doesn't make him Tom Brady. It doesn't make him any of the very best quarterbacks ever to play the game or something like that. But it does, to your point, make him a very live contender. He's probably number two or number three legitimately in this weight class in the world. That is no small achievement. Yeah, we're going to break down sort of the beauty of this knockout later in the show. So I don't want to you know blow our wad now, but... It's weird because he's had fights, Luke, that you sort of teased that he should have won. There were, remember that setup showcase against Mark Hunt in which he was winning most of it and then gassed out and got stopped? Even the Junior Dos Santos stoppage came at a point where it looked like he was being built up and he was on a run. But just the same he'll win fights he shouldn't, like the Volkov one. So it's certainly unique, but... Man, he has a, a, a weird confidence to him, and, and it, maybe it speaks to this efficiency that he's evolved to that you're talking about. First of all, he doesn't waste any energy or motion in there. He stands in the middle of the cage and simply just turns his body and keeps putting the pressure on. But it's not a menacing pressure, you know? Sometimes, Luke, you know, he plays possum. It almost looks like he's hurt or gassed in there. It, it, he somehow carries in the same personality that we love about him, but sometimes don't take him seriously enough because of into there, almost like ho-hum. If I get the knockout, I get it. If I lose, whatever. I'm still paying my my mortgage, and, and everyone's going to be happy. And I think that takes off the pressure, and that certainly leaves the door open for him to be able to do either the miraculous like he did against Volkov to, to snatch a victory out of the mouth of defeat, or in this one where he had a truly elite, prime, great heavyweight in blades just you know, succumb to everything that Lewis does great. And that doesn't mean we won't see Lewis again in a Latifi type fight where he underwhelms and he gets exposed in certain categories. But man, this is crazy. You know, the highs and lows don't really affect him. He called out John Jones sort of 
begrudgingly afterwards, Luke. Would it be promotional malpractice for the UFC to make Jones beast next, knowing that they have a guaranteed giant pay-per-view payday of John Jones versus the winner of Francis and Stipe for the title? Or, a little bit. Or would that be logical? Uh, it would... Um... Probably the answer is it would be a mistake because if you lose, you end up ruining a lot of the intrigue and possibility of what would happen. Because even if John lost up at that title fight, you could still say, well, you know, there's a lot he could do and blah, blah, blah. If you end up losing to Derek Lewis, um, you know, how would you end up losing? You're not going to lose by Kimura. You're going to lose either by decision or more likely you're going to get finished with strikes. For that to happen, you know, would... A, John's never really lost and certainly never lost in that kind of a way. Uh, that would be kind of bad. I mean, all of the situations are uh, reparable, but what I mean to say is if you're going to have the guy go up there and you're trying to get the biggest bang for your buck, you may, he may win, he may lose, but it's probably better, especially if you're talking about the all-time very best light heavyweight and the last champion there before the one who currently holds it. Um, it's fi- it's fine to give him a title shot, I think, under those circumstances. I think some heavyweights have said he should have some other fights in there. If that was the direction they wanted to go, Derek Lewis would be a fine fight. I don't think it's huge risk per se. Uh, but if you're going to weigh your options, I think you just go right to winner of the title shot, personally. that That's where I'm at on that one. Of the trio of heavyweight champions or contenders ranked above him, sort of in terms of who's going to get a chance at it next. It's Stipe against Francis and John next. Of that trio, Luke... Who do you like his chances against the best? Francis. I mean, he already beat him once, right? There's sort of that it's a, sort of kind of it doesn't count. there. That fight doesn't count, Luke. It really How does that not count? count? Derek had a back injury and couldn't be himself. And Francis had, you know, had a lobotomy inside the cage and, and didn't <laughs> and didn't act like Francis. Like, like, remember when that guy says lighten up, Francis? He 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 was lightened up the whole damn fight, Luke. OK, it was on. Uh, so it's as if that fight didn't happen. Both deserve to have lose. Dana was wrong for throwing shade only at Frank afterwards. And I think, you know, that Luke. Uh, I, I don't know if it doesn't count as much as, you know, do, running it back might yield a different result. But um I'll say this, I, I don't know who he, uh, yeah, uh, anytime he's going to face a wrestler, especially one who can you know, strike behind it, you know, and, and, and weld it to, that is going to be a very difficult thing for him to handle. You might say, oh, that was Curtis Blades. Yes and no. Curtis Blades does have really good level changing and he's fast and he's worked on his striking. But the real big problem, I think, we've not discussed it to this point, Curtis Blades' issues are twofold. One, he has a little bit of difficulty closing that distance at the last moment, unless he can sort of run through you a little bit. Uh, and two, he hasn't established in enough fights, not, not, not in totality, but in enough fights against elite opposition, the ability to just sort of strike it out a little bit to then make that a real enough threat so that when you combine the wrestling threat together, opponents have a difficulty telling what's coming or going. I mean, the thing is, Derek Lewis read this coming a mile away and then threw the uppercut, and it was just absolutely perfect. So that's sort of an issue for him to fold there. I mean, here's what I would say. I think he's probably, Lewis, top two, because you have the rankings right now, BC. You've got Stipe, who's unranked because he's the champion. So number one as a contender is Francis. Two is Blades. This is before being redone. Three, uh, Rosenstruck, and then four, Lewis. Lewis is probably going to jump to Blades' spot, the number two, maybe number three. Here's what I'm thinking. Uh, John's going to get the winner of Stipe versus Francis. So let that just play out. The other way to go here is if Rosenstruck wins against uh, Gon, I think I say his name, 
then you put Rosenstruck in there with Lewis. I think that's probably the way to go. What about you? Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. There, that Derek would fight the winner, really, regardless. Because Luke, let's not forget one that during the Wheel of Death a couple weeks ago, you predicted that Cyril gone gone in sixty seconds would one day wear the UFC title. So I think you know if he beats Rosenstruck, that's a big win. Let's give him Derek Lewis anyway. But yeah, that would be fair. That would make a ton of sense. Will this stop people from trying to shoot? Because you know. Hindsight is twenty twenty, and I see a lot of people going, damn, if Blades only just boxed from the outside for five rounds, he probably would have won this fight. He could have pieced him up with the jab. That's never going to happen because Blades is a wrestler. Will this stop people from feeling like what DC was able to do to Derek is possible, is easy, is is the way to go? Because, look, DC's not the only wrestler who's given uh, the Black Beast issues in the past, but... DC made it look easy, Luke. I mean, it was crazy. Uh, this has to be a warning sign because of how good Blades is as a wrestler for for the idea that that might not be a path anymore to try to shoot in on this guy. I mean, he will take your soul if you let him, Luke. I think, don't you, I think don't you, you could, let him. Uh, no, here's the thing. I think you could do it. In fact, in many ways, you're going to have to do it because just out there striking with the guy is not a great idea. But it is pretty clear to me at this point that if you want to really beat Derek Lewis, you have to have a couple of things. One, you better have lights out takedown ability, and I mean that through body locks, you know, John Smith low singles, head outside singles, doubles, high crotch lifts, the whole nine. So somebody like Daniel Cormier, who can change levels, who can get to the body quickly, who can make it work and then chain wrestle. Yeah, that's probably going to be one option for you. But really, even if you have that, the big key here is Dude, he is very patient, and he's going to wait for a good opportunity. You have to either you have to confuse him, you have to get his timing disrupted, you have to make him commit and then react to that, but just trying to shoot in on the guy without really establishing some kind of other threat that he has to recognize. So the only real threat he has to recognize is the very thing which you are trying, a level change, a single punch, whatever. Dude, he's going he's gonna to roll with that punch, He's going he's gonna to defend the takedown, or he's going to uppercut your fucking brains into the upper deck. You, you, you pick. It's going to happen for you. So there are guys out there, I think, who can beat him in this weight class. And I think Blades still is young enough, by the way, not to bury him. I think he's young enough, BC, where he can still make some of these changes and get to the point where he needs to. But Saturday, that wasn't it, bro. That no, was not no. it. Um, are, we ready to, um, are we ready to pick it on Herb Dean's lawn yet, Luke? I mean... I mean, Blades took some some hammers after he was already out cold. Here's the thing about that. Are you like... I don't think it was a great stoppage from Dean. There was two things that sort of stuck out to me about it. One was, um, you know, he he seemed to be pretty far away. And two, the urgency with which he was pulling somebody off. I've seen referees dive in to save guys who are already unconscious. I haven't seen Herb level change in a while. while. (laughs) I wonder what's up with that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it it's always hard to kill a referee in this spot because they never know when the knockout's going to come and and you know, you can be close, but you can't be too close. You can't get in the way of the action, but yeah, this this felt very unfortunate for Curtis Blades to take two just I mean, it was kind of three because, you know, Curtis kind of uh, uh, got hit on the way down after he was already knocked cold and then the two giant hammer shots. Look, Herb's great. Yeah, it feels like Luke in the last year he's had more topics of conversation on this show than he has ever had before when he when you know for for really five six seven years he's been you know the elite guy you know one or two or three at the worst in your referee rankings but 
man, this this video this is pretty damning. I mean, it's hard to say anything else about you know he was late, Luke. He was late. Okay, he was. You know what I'm saying? The the yeah. goalie slipped one. You know, the goalie let one through. He was late. Okay, there's gonna be a baby in nine months. Sorry, sorry about that, Curtis. All right. Uh, we'll come back to the UFC card if we can, BC. Let's transition to point number two here, which is the Broner fight. Uh, Broner versus Santiago from Showtime Boxing over the weekend. Now, Broner gets the unanimous decision. We'll talk about the scores in just a second, but this is his first fight back in two years. He was taking on the replacement, I believe, of a replacement, but certainly not the guy who was initially scheduled to fight. And he got the job done, technically. The, the, the judges thought he won. And again, we'll talk about the scores in just a second. Let me start with a very basic question, BC, which is loaded, but you can answer it however you feel free. How did he look? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Bad. Okay. You want to take a snapshot of his late rally and say if he could be that against the very elite moving forward, there's still a run left in him. Okay, that's great. But Luke, I know it's a two-year layoff, but he came in in shape and he was in there against a replacement of a replacement in a get well showcase fight. Let's say exactly what it is. Yes, Santiago was unbeaten. But the only name on Giovanni Santiago's resume that anybody knows was 43-year-old Demarcus Chop Chop Corley, who dropped Santiago twice in that bout that Santiago won by decision. So this is not a killer. And A.B. was lifeless, Luke, and disinterested enough to be the very worst version of who he typically is against fighters that are better than him. A guy who doesn't throw enough punches, doesn't use his jab, doesn't rely on his strengths, and is too in love with his power and landing once in a while a clean counter shot so then he can smile, backpedal, showboat, do all that. The problem is, Luke, and you know this does play into the decision conversation and the disputed nature of it, he got outlanded by over 100 punches, by a 2-to-1 margin. You're letting a light-hitting guy who really has no business being in the ring with you two-year layoff or not, you're letting him control you, get inside on you with no penalty or toll to be paid. So while, yes, AB's rally in the end was enough to either make it close or give him an edging-type victory, like on my scorecard, seven rounds to five for Broner, which, oh, by the way, was pretty damn generous. Doesn't even reflect how bad those other two scorecards were by the judges. Um, you're doing just barely enough in a showcase comeback fight. Look, I have always said this guy has nine lives, and there's a, it's a loaded thing when I say that. One, because... He has more talent than he typically shows. And despite all the missteps and issues in his personal life, he has a way often of coming back in the ring and showing you that he still got it and teasing you to believe that if he ever puts it back together, he could still be something. B, I tend, Saturday night notwithstanding, I tend to be entertained by his bullshit. I'll say it. I tend to be entertained by his can-man theatrics and all the shit he does. It's... It's a typically for me welcome distraction 
in this sport, okay? He draws a crowd. He draws interest. He's the perfect marketable B-side. But even me, Luke, is like, enough with this bullshit. A.B., be who you are inside, which is a guy who's been fighting since you're age four or five, has great skills when he wants to use them. The problem is you got to use them. If you're not going to use them against Santiago, then I don't want to care. I don't care and want to hear that you think you can knock out Ruguru because you know what's going to happen. They're going to make the fight. You're going to cash the check and you're not going to throw enough punches. And at the end, you're going to say, I did it for the culture. No, you didn't do it for anything but the check, okay? I know he's got personal problems, Luke. Maybe that's fueling why he's coming back for the money. But this was a joke on Saturday. Go out there and knock that guy out. And then afterwards to do the whole, look, I don't mind the we're going to go out of sex comment, whatever. It's part of the shtick. But you're going you're gonna, to, you know, <laughs> kill a guy like Steve Farhood and try to throw shade at the network who's going out of their way to give you a damn showcase fight against a guy who shouldn't be in there? Get the hell off my screen. Enough. Yeah, I mean, here's what it looked like to me. It looked like to me that he did get in good shape for it. He did not gas or something. It wasn't like he put out a ton of effort on Saturday night. But, you know, he didn't look like he was completely out of shape, and I'll give him that. Um, You know, that's a hard thing to do after a two-year layoff. Okay, fair enough. Uh, But what it looked like to me was he was willing to do just enough such that his name would carry him the rest of the way. Like, in other words, I'm the A-side, I'm Adrian Broner, whatever that is worth, I'm going to use that as my foundation, and I'm going to build just enough on top of it to beat someone who is without a name, even if they might outwork me two to one. Not, not, not all the shots were quality, but outwork me two to one. If that's your attitude, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit concerned for your future, because the obvious response I got, and Will Brooks, former Bellator lightweight champion, responded to me, and he was saying on Twitter, he was like, okay, but he's been gone for two years. Okay, fair enough. But the but the narrative after the end of two years should be, one, you got in shape, which, is, again, I'll still give it to him, and then, two, you beat someone you were just way better than, but you did the kind of thing that an A-class fighter would do to somebody who's a C or a D-class level professional. You really showed the difference. In this case, it was so close, some people thought Santiago won. And I don't know that that's the worst scorecard in the world. I don't agree with it, but I, I don't think it's crazy. It's not crazy. So this is what you did with a tune-up fight. You eked by, probably by the uh, um, momentum and uh, celebrity, whatever's left of it, of your name. And again, you're right. The last third of that fight, he looked pretty good, I would say, for the most part. Um, not a confidence-inspiring win, even if it's a win just the same, BC. And look, I used to say, if you're pissed off at Adrian Broner for what he does outside the ring or, you know, when he's clowning on opponents, then that's on you because that's his goal to make you pissed off. But this is separate from that, Luke. This is where, like, we all know the real truth. What's the real truth in this, you know, in the last couple of years of Adrian's active career? It's that he'll blow away the guys he should. He'll do just enough against the guys right below him, right? The Ashley Theophanes. I think you were at that fight. He yep. had that fight against that guy, Emmanuel. What's his name? He did just enough and dropped him at the end and won. And then against the elite guys, unfortunately, he'll talk a big game and almost do nothing. Sometimes we like to forget that that part isn't there, Luke. That he does nothing when he steps up against Mikey Garcia and Manny Pacquiao. And sometimes we forgive him because he brings attention to the sport but you got to do the freaking bare minimum, which is knock out Giovanni Santiago or at least drop him multiple times and dominate him. You didn't do that, then you're not allowed to clown afterwards. You're not allowed to do all this stuff, okay? Like, it's, 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 Luke, it's, uh, 
You know what was really sad, Luke? Okay. Uh, you know what I'm a big fan of, Luke? Mm. Dickie Betts. Remember that guy? Guitarist for the Allman Brothers? Long Love time that guy. Ago. Love that guy. All right. Maybe he doesn't pay his taxes. Maybe he's hit women in the past, but he's a fine American man. Plays the Les Paul. Some of his guitar work on Blue Sky, uh, Jessica, uh, uh, the memory of Elizabeth Reed. I mean, it's in it's it's branded in our brains, Luke. I used to see him solo all the time at theaters and stuff. It was great, you know, amphitheaters and stuff. Eventually, he started playing for free at the Terryville Fair. That got pretty sad, Luke. Okay. This performance against Santiago shows me AB is not far from playing for free at the Terryville Fair. Okay, Luke. All right, you know what I'm saying? Like, and that's not where he should be at 31, two years layoff or not. So this, uh, yeah, this was the this was the moment to. And you heard his corner. I think it was between. Man, I want to say after the seventh round. I can't be too sure. But there's a moment where his corner is advising him on some changes to make between rounds, and then reminding him, you know, we're trying to get a big fight from this. You got to go out there and do X, Y, and Z. So, like, they knew what was on the line here. This was the moment to over-deliver. Your opponent is set up in such a way where you can over-deliver without maximizing your skills, without having to go to the greatest depths of your cardiovascular conditioning. And he couldn't even do that. He couldn't even do that. By the way, can we make a statement here about Steve Farhood? You know what's funny about Adrian Broner's uh, um, enemies? He always, like, if, if, if Adrian Broner kills you in public... Let's say here, I hope he kills us. And the reason why, BC, is he only kills, like, the nicest, sweetest people. <laughs> it's like he went after Al Bernstein and now yeah. Steve Farhood. Who are you going to go after next, fucking Santa? Well, like, why would you go after, things, like, who, like, fuck the Pope or something? Why would you say that? Look, let me clear up. You're right. And it's just, it's bullshit, right? It's bullshit. I mean, good God. But let me clear up a couple of things about the decision, okay? It was bad. The idea of AB winning, though. Despite what the bo- what the bo- uh, the CompuBox stats tell you, or despite what you saw, that's not wrong. I had it seven five. Let's not forget there was a point deduction, so I had it, which I didn't. You know, I thought Arthur McCanty Jr., the referee, had a horrific night from trying to yell at AB to stop talking. Ne- hey refs, never tell a fighter to stop talking. It's a fight, bro. Okay, but number two, they took away a point that didn't seem to 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 make sense on Santiago. Still. 7-5, okay, it's generous to AB, but here's the difference for anybody that sees the punch stats and goes, oh my God, boxing, robbery, oh my God. This fight wasn't necessarily a robbery. Is the other two scorecards, 117-111, and the other one, uh, you know, too far? Yes, too far. Not good at all. Shit. But Santiago was not landing anything of consequence. He's, pep- he's patty-caking to the body. So this is kind of a theme in AB fights. Even his biggest win on paper of his career, beating Paulie Malignaggi for a welterweight belt. That was a split decision, Luke. Why? Because even though AB was knocking Paulie around the ring with clean power shots, he did not throw enough punches, and Paulie outworked him. This fight was kind of like that. So I know you can't look at the CompuBox stats and, and decide that that tells you who won the fight. Yes, AB was lazy, and that's why the fight was close. But he still landed the punches that affected the fight. He almost knocked Santiago down twice. He hurt him. Like That's why you're able to give Broner those close rounds. And oh, by the way, even the rounds that Santiago won, they were shit rounds, okay? Which means they could have gone either way. So this wasn't a robbery. There were some bad scorecards. AB got lucky at the end of the day. That's what it was. And it's not a good look for boxing when all three judges have it for him in a fight this close. I mean, look, for Santiago's defense, he didn't argue afterwards. He actually thought Broner fought well, and he kind of knew what, what he was up against. Yeah, but he but, had uh, a, he, the problem was BC. Sorry to cut you off, but you know this as well as I do. 
He fought well. He fought up to, I thought, the ability that he had, but he also had a bit of a I'm just happy to be here vibe. Yeah. That, no, that's true. That's true. And it doesn't mean that we can't say because of that interview that that makes this all good. Because I had a lot of people killing me on Twitter going, how are you not campaigning that boxing's broke? Well, boxing is broke, so let's not act like it's not. But it's almost like I'm numb and I've seen worse. This was close enough. AB won this fight on the eye test. Did he win enough rounds? That was up to you to decide. Um, there was a, a bit of a brighter note on the card, which actually came from the co-main of NBC. Otto Valin defeating Dominic Brazil. Um, th- this was, I won't say a tale of two stories in a fight, because I want to say mostly pretty good. What I would say is, through two-thirds of that decision win he got, BC, he looked great. He yeah. was jabbing. He was never getting cut or cornered against the ropes or in the corner itself. He was slipping under punches. He was pull countering. He was boxing he had good footwork you can see some of that here tying up when he needs to staying out of the way of punches catching brazil at uh, at angles a, a bunch of times a year you can see him jabbing over the top of his own jab coming through he looked good he did fade in the last third now it didn't matter in the end because he was already so far ahead nbc you got to give brazil some credit he realized if i'm going to fight this guy at range i'm just going to get i'm going to get boxed up let me just crowd him and smother him and, and you know he's six seven or whatever you see a little bit more of that there so what do you make of this? It was a good performance in the end, but with some noteworthy differences as we hit the 12th round. Yeah, you know, I don't want to throw shade at our, at our brethren at Showtime. I, I felt that they weren't saying enough that Valin did kind of fade and he got hurt in the 10th round. And I want to give Brazil a lot of credit. Luke, Brazil looked like crap in this fight for most of it. Yeah. He's more than two years away. We haven't seen him since he got knocked out by Deontay Wilder in the first round in a devastating knockout in like May of 2019. So it had been a long time. Brazil looked like two steps behind the whole fight, but he didn't quit. He trained in, in elevation with his new trainer, Abel Sanchez. And I want to give uh, trouble, as they call him, a, a, a nod here because he was coming on in those last three rounds and you almost felt like he was close to really putting Valine in trouble. But yes, the first nine rounds, look, Valine looks like a heavyweight contender. Very legit. We know he, he gave Tyson Fury all he could handle. He's 6'5", he's a southpaw, quick feet, quick hands. I don't know yet, Luke. If he can win a world title, can he get out of that second tier bubble, right? If the top tier is Joshua Fury, Usyk, some nights Deontay Wilder, you know, the husk of Luis Ortiz, can he can he get out of that next tier, right? The Joseph Parkers, that group. He looks to be the class of that next tier. He's going to have to keep improving to show us. But I think that it's in play that this guy could win a world title in his career. I mean, it's in play that he could give somebody a tough night at the office. He came that close to a doctor stopping it uh, against Fury and him legitimately winning the championship. So good performance, but you do got to kind of repair the loose ends because Brazil had no business coming on at the end and making it, you know, a little bit dangerous. Yeah, I mean, refresh my memory, BC. The story of the fight that Valine had with with, uh, Tyson Fury was that he was bossing Fury around early, uh, early and mid, cut him, but that Fury uh, ended up rallying. But isn't it also true that Valine put it on Fury in that 12th? So we know that late he can go. We, we've literally seen it against the world's best. Maybe he was a little bit more exhausted from all the moving he did early on in this fight because he was kind of on his heels the whole time, or he misjudged what he was up against. So I don't know that this performance undercuts that, but maybe it tells us something to pay attention to for future fights. Yeah, I thought he. I actually thought he went for the finish in the middle of this fight against Brazil, and that kind of gassed him a little bit. But mm-hmm. yeah, against Fury, you nailed it, Luke. He he deserved to have lost that on the scorecards, but 
he had Fury exhausted and almost wobbling in that final round. And let's not forget about Otto Valley, and he stuck his thumb in Fury's cut right in front of the referee's eye. Look, he was going for it that night, okay? He's like the nicest guy in the world when you interview him. But I love that in his biggest moment, he's like, I'm I'm fighting dirty. I'm trying to win this thing. Luke, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, brother. All right? Yeah, you know what? There's daring to be great, and then there's fuck it. Let's go be great. He had a little bit of both of him that night. Uh, pretty impressive. Uh, all right, so you had teased this BC, and I didn't poo-poo it as a fight, but I had poo-pooed it as an attraction for our audience. But you know what? Got to give props where props are due. You called it. I decided to watch it on your recommendation, and uh, what a treat it was. So Miguel Burchelt gets absolutely sent to the land of wind and ghosts by... Uh, oh, you know what? That's number four. I'm fucking this up, BC. I apologize. You know what? Let's put a pin in that. We are going to talk about the Valdez and Burchelt fight, but not right this second. I apologize to our, our viewers and you as well, BC. Let's go back to the UFC card. What? Once again, Mexican boxing taking a back seat, Luke. Okay, <laughs> once again, all right? I apologize. That's on me. That No one else fucked that up except for me. Can't blame Jay. That's my fault. But with that being said, BC, going back to the UFC card, somebody else in that main card, maybe the prelim card slot, whatever, who else impressed you from the UFC on Saturday night. Well, look, I want to kind of ask you if what I'm seeing up to this level is deceiving. Is it legit? Because, you know, heavyweight Chris Dawkins of Philadelphia, this is now three wins all by stoppage. And look, Alexi Olenek is, is so old, Luke, that he made his pro debut four months after I graduated from high school. But the manner in which Dawkins just manhandled him, this guy's, you know, I mean, he's got a little man boobage going on, but he's also got quick hands, Luke, great combinations, and seemingly good power. He's not beating any killers yet, but please tell me what I'm seeing here. Is this a potential contender? Because this guy's fearless, he gets into scuffles, and he seems to have good boxing background where he's going to give people some issues. Well, here's what I would say. With Chris Dawkins, it's still to me, a little bit too early to tell. Plus, with Olenek, you know, he'll catch the guys who are just not on their A game. But Dawkins looks to me like, how good can he be? I don't know. We'll have to see. But he probably does do his homework. He probably does cross his T's and dots his I's in terms of what do I know? What can I control? And when you have an opponent with known weaknesses like Alexi Olenek, that kind of a thing um, is really imperative in a pre fight preparation. And I think he probably did that. So it's a little hard to tell what the upside is. What I can say about Chris Dawkins, BC, and I think this is kind of what you're getting at here a little bit, is I thought this was going to happen a few years ago, and it didn't. Some of the heavyweight guys really hung on. But a division changes when the young supplant the old. And it doesn't happen at once. It doesn't always happen in you know in, a, in an arithmetic fashion. Sometimes it happens a little bit, then not at all, and then all at once. There can be ebbs and flows to it. But you are watching this younger generation of heavyweights, the Gons, the Dawkinses, there's many others as well, they're, the Aspinalls, we'll talk about him in just a second. They're starting to push through. They're starting to make a name for themselves in ways where um, the old guard is beginning to lose to them in ways that they had not before. And that he, Dawkins, is at least at a bare minimum part of that row of fighters. Yeah, he impressed me. He impressed me. Those are, them are some quick hands, Luke. Uh, I know you're itching to tell us about Aspinall. Well, uh, didn't you find like that was really impressive? I mean, he... Arlovsky was impressive too, man. This is a guy like people always ask me, what's one guy you've been the wrongest about? I mean, I've got two whoppers in my career, maybe three, but two. One was I thought, oh, Matt Lindland is the guy to beat Anderson Silva. I mean, they never fought, but in retrospect, that seems very wrong. 
um, spectacularly so. The other one is, oh, I thought Arlovsky was done by the time he was even in World Series of Fighting. I did not anticipate he'd be able to make the kinds of changes that he has. That's a failure for me and not from him. Pretty amazing because Aspinall got the win in the second round, BC. He had presence of mind. He stayed calm. He showed a lot of positive things. But early, dude, they were trading and Arlovsky was landing on him continuously. What did you make of Tom Aspinall? I think that the real lesson there was... He still has plenty to work on in terms of his defense, but he can switch gears and find another way to win a fight against very smart credentialed opposition at this young of an age with relatively this little of experience. That's very, very impressive. Yeah, I think you nailed the key part in why this is more impressive than even what Dawkins did is because Aspinall faced some legitimate uh, you know, uh, pushback, and he got hurt, he got hit in the eye, as you said, afterwards. And look, this was... Uh, this was a very stubborn Arlovsky just, you know, pouring out what was ever left. We know Arlovsky's going to break his nose in the first 30 seconds of every fight, Luke. But, uh, you know, he showed some weird wrinkles that work, that front kick to the nipple that he kept doing, and uh, and he still can put some combos together. It's weird that, you know, I mean, obviously it's dependent on the level of competition and what you're getting hit with, but some nights Arlovsky's chin just folds up Luke like a like an un you know unpinned down tent in a storm and other nights he decides to bring the good one and this was one of those nights so it was able to give Aspinall a little bit of a, of a stretch like Dawkins it's early but I think he's showing an even better upside than Dawkins so I think there's a more complete game there and I like the uh hey Bizping let's go off for some cold ones afterwards all right also I gotta tell you if you're the UFC what Arlovsky has turned into is a blessing for you because he's going to help you sort the contenders from the pretenders. You know, I'm not saying if you lose, you know, all oh, that's it for you. You could come back and find a way to get it past him. But the way in which he works now where he doesn't take a lot of big punches, you got to beat this guy with smarts. I mean, yeah, you know, he might overcommit a little bit against the Rosen strikes and get, you know, clipped coming in, but that's pretty rare. He's very reserved, careful, and 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 very considerate about when he wants to throw and how he wants to throw it. And so to beat that guy, you got to show real maturity. You got to show real depth of game. So you beat him, man, you know, okay, I don't know if he's the next champion, but this is somebody who we should definitely keep an eye on. If not, you got some things to work on in your game. It's a really fortuitous situation for UFC matchmakers. And look, we're probably, you know, missing out on on what could be a great segment, which is your uh, arrogant ass judging people's tattoos, but on the front, Aspinall looked very promising. I like what he's going on. There's like a there's like an old world Italian scene looking on his yeah. chest and there's there's you know, Asian symbols on his arm, but what's with the flavor flave clock on the back? You in on that? Well, here's the thing. I um clocks. So if you don't know much about tattoos, clocks, owls, um, Spartan or Roman iconography, that kind of a thing features heavily into that. And not just clocks we see, but stopwatches in particular. I am not. It's a little Salvador Dali esque kind of because sometimes they're like you know dreamlike. Um, I don't quite get why they're as prominent as they are. I mean, I get it a little bit, but people overestimate the smarts of owls, and you know they tend to sort of go to stuff that's a little bit one note. On chest pieces, I can take them or leave them, but I did see that he got his right sleeve nearly completed or certainly heavily um, uh, worked on. I did like the sleeve a little bit. I thought that there was some good work on there. And Luke, true or false, you also completed your right sleeve-ish this weekend. Sort of. I didn't complete, and it was earlier in the week. I don't know if you guys can see here. I've got rope added to it on the on the, on the the Eagle Globe and Anchor, but um, it's going to take some time to heal. You can see I've got grease all over it. i got petroleum, whatever the fuck it is, uh, to help clear up the scabbing. So, yeah, we'll see. 
Okay. Okay. Plenty your, more to go, your, buddy. Is uh, your daughter a big fan of it? Yes, she has learned to say the word tattoo. It's very nice. All right. Tattoo. Remember that really weird weird tattoo song that Van Halen had in that comeback about 10 years ago? No, I don't listen to soft-ass shit. All right, uh, let's move on now to point, which is a line from The Rock, everyone. Uh, All right, so let's go to point number four if we can. Sorry I jacked this up earlier to the folks in the back. Now let's do it. Oscar Valdez, frankly dominated BC and then viciously, viciously, viciously KO'd Miguel Burchelt on ESPN, winning, I think, with WBO title uh, in C. the process. WBC, baby, the BC, green belt. excuse me. Yeah, excuse, I apologize. It was the main event. You had hyped it up. Credit to you, BC. I watched it. It delivered, and I think then some, although maybe a little bit shorter than some had imagined, and certainly uh, a underdog winning in the most impressive of ways. Did the fight, in your mind, live up to what you thought it either could or should have been? You know, not in its not in its uh, advertised ways, which was this would be the next Barrera Morales. You know, name your favorite all Mexican war Vasquez Marquez with the three. You know, the trilogy we saw in Showtime. It wasn't that Luke, but it certainly lived up to the other expectations, which is drama, violence, something that not only you need to watch and should. And I'm glad you did. And I got a lot of great messages from you know MMA only fans that watch our show that were like BC. Thank you for that that recommendation. But also one of those where people are like, call your friends, text your friends to quote Teddy Atlas, right? Call your friends. There's a fight breaking out. Um, I think the shocking part was this, Luke. Oscar Valdez is better than we thought. Yes, he was unbeaten coming in for the fe- former featherweight champ. But he gets in a little bit too many brawls for his own good. Yet, Luke, I underestimated two things. One, how much his speed would be an advantage moving up to 130 here against Burchell. And two, you know, I hadn't been looking close enough, let's say, to the CompuBox stats. Burchell does get hit a lot, and there are some deficiencies there. The difference is, Luke, Burchell has mostly fought brawlers throughout his run as WBC 130-pound champion, and in the category of brawlers, he's sort of the guy with skills. He's the guy with the jab and the combos who will brawl you and get you out of there, but do it a little bit more cleverly and technician-like. Oscar Valdez was just at another level. On top of that, Luke, he fought with balls. In the beginning, if you rewatched that fight, even Tim Bradley and Andre Ward were like, you know, he's a little bit too jacked up here. He's a little bit too hyped. He's exploiting a lot of energy, expending a lot of energy, excuse me. But Luke, him jumping over Burchelt the way it did, it was shocking. He knocked him down in, in the first three rounds. Um, I don't know what the hell uh, Judge Max DeLuca was doing, by the way, who gave all first of the three, all three rounds to Burchelt to open. This was Valdez's fight early, and then to see Miguel Burchelt do what he does, which is turn into an angry zombie, walking Valdez down, taking stupid punishment, but kind of making this a fight. Suddenly, there was a window there, Luke, where you were wondering if Valdez had uh, expended too much to try to get him out of there. At the end of the day. Um, it was a tour de force for a guy in Oscar Valdez, who I mentioned, unbeaten, a great fighter, but a guy who we sort of thought his his limitations and sort of addictive tendencies to fight too much would hurt him. And it would hurt him in this fight, especially because he had a five and a half inch reach disadvantage. Luke, none of that mattered at the end of the day. His combination of speed technique and balls won out. And oh, by the way, that picture right there of them on the stool is everything you love about this broken, beautiful, brutal sport. The two of them having that moment and giving the love and respect to each other. Luke, 
This was a violent as shit knockout. This was a stunning knockout. The noise that was expended from that left hook in round 10, like your spine just shakes and quakes. I have not seen a knockout this violent in a fight this big, maybe since Pacquiao Marquez 4 in 2012, mm-hmm. Luke, where you're just like, holy shit, the fight is over. And I'm not sure if Burchelt's going to be okay. Luckily, he went to the hospital. Cat scans are all good. I mean, you know, look, a fight like this is going to take years off of your career, maybe your life. You know that coming in. But two Warriors and a coming out party for uh, Valdez in some ways. Luke, I know we're going to kind of talk about knockouts and compare them in a second. But coming into this with with not deep knowledge on these guys, but now you kind of know who Oscar Valdez is, when you hear... Valdez, top rank, ESPN, and Shakur Stevenson himself, a champion at 130 pounds, one of these building blocks for the future of boxing that I talk about. When you hear that all of them are interested in a junior lightweight unification bout that could probably air on ESPN, you know, later this year, how jazzed are you to that idea? Yeah, I mean, if you, how do you not make that fight? You know, you got everyone basically in house. You have an availability in the calendar. You have the not necessity per se, but you know there's something of a necessity to unify the titles. You have a contrast in styles. You have a guy you could promote to different audiences either way. Certainly in this case, Stevenson. And by the way, Stevenson's been not fighting the greatest competition since the pandemics happened. So this would be a huge step up, and I think a welcome one at that. Valdez obviously had his hands full, but you know more than passed the test. But I mean, he's earned an opportunity against a name that a lot of folks think is the next big thing in boxing. So yeah, dude, I don't know how you don't make that contest. I mean, you know, it was kind of funny. He had this. I forget which round it was. It was kind of early BC. I think it was like third or fourth round where he really had Burchelt in trouble. But then Burchelt kind of rallied a little bit, and I thought at first, ah, you know what? Um, he might end up winning this, but Burchelt's going to rally here, and you know, experience is going to matter here. I had read some pre-fight previews to to see who kind of experts thought was the boss, and then he gets knocked down again later. And at that point, I'm like, dude, this guy Valdez might put this dude away. And then he did exactly what you saw. My point being is it is amazing how these young guns are coming up in boxing. He was not only the underdog, but he was sort of like looked past as one guy was considered just better, but like much better. Like there was like a categorical difference between them, which I did not think was true, at least based on what you had said. And uh, sure enough, dude, he comes out and shows something like that. That was really special. If you don't get rewarded. For an op- for a, for a turning in of an effort like that with a big fight, what the fuck are we doing here? You know, <laughs> absolutely. And you know, he was a three to one underdog. It seemed bigger than it should have been, but look, I mean, Burchelt's been a killer in this division. He's been the face of this division for five six years, and you know, he had those physical advantages, but not on this night, Luke. I mean, look, this, you know this sport, Luke. We're, we we show the scars and the wounds of boxing on this show. We're not afraid to dodge it around it. This this fight, this night, it was one of those that, like, this is why we watch. I mean, this is it. This is great. Um, I know people are saying, and I, I do want to get your take, Luke, that maybe his corner, Burchelt's corner, should have stopped it earlier. And I think, obviously, if Burchelt had been, you know, badly, badly hurt from this, meaning in the hospital, you know, in a coma, we would be much deeper investigating this. You could have, like, you could have stopped it, but dude, he's the bigger guy, the bigger puncher, and he was having moments. He was kind, you know what I mean? Like, 
I, I, I don't, I don't want to look back and be like, should they have? No, they shouldn't have, right? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry that it was brutal, but this is boxing. This is elite championship boxing. Where, where do you stand on it? I think I'm of the view that, like, had they stopped it, you would have understood. Had they stopped it, uh, his corner, maybe not so much the referee, but his corner. Had they stopped it, you would not only understood. You would have someone like, yeah, that's probably for his best. You know, that's it was not. Uh, before the stoppage itself, where he when he got knocked out, it was not going his way right up to that moment. So if they had pulled it a little before, they'd be like, okay, that makes sense. Still, watching in real time, I did not have the same alarm bells going off in my head as I have for other cases that had continued. Which isn't to say I did not think it was getting dire and desperate. I did, but it didn't have the same. To me, BC, it, it it was definitely something that you were like, ooh, this is getting kind of bad, but it didn't read medical emergency in the ways other ones have. Does that sound reasonable to you or am I, I, am I, I you know, awful? Like we've debated in the past with Cater and Holloway and whatever, like it is a gray area and it, this was in the gray, but I have to agree with you. Burchell took a ton of punishment, Luke, and in the moment I'm thinking, you know, this is not going to be good for his long term, but, you know, boxing's not good for your long term. And I do like... Yeah a window here. These guys are willing, you know, they're willing warriors. They want this. They, you know, they're, they, they come here prepared to die in the ring and God, we never want that to happen, but maybe that's part of what we love about this sport that it, you know, it's as real as, as you can possibly have for a sporting event. And that's a savage thing to say out loud, but, uh, you know, I credit Burchell for being a warrior and going after it. And Luke, I also credit a guy who, can we start banging the bell for uh, banging the drum for Eddie Reynoso, the trainer? We know him forever as Canelo's trainer and co-manager. We've been giving him props for what he's done with Ryan Garcia and turning him into a more responsible offensive fighter. But what he's done with Oscar Valdez here, I, I forgot coming in that that was Valdez's new trainer. And uh, that was a hell of a game plan and performance that they executed. It certainly was pretty impressive. Uh, I have to say now, the devastation, which you had alluded to, brings us to a point where we now have to ask. If you look at what ESPN did, they had a good night on Saturday, BC, because they showcased a main event in two different sports in the same city, uh, almost at the same time, or within pretty close approximation of one another. On the MMA side, Curtis Blades losing. He was the favorite to win. He did not. He got viciously KO'd. And then, of course, you have, as we've been discussing, Valdez's KO of Burchelt which was also just devastating in the most unbelievable ways. And again, an underdog winning. So here's the question, point number five here, BC. And again, it's a loaded question, so answer it by the criteria that you think are important. Which underdog winning, basically, one-punch KO was better? Uh, Valdez or Lewis? All right. I naturally want to say Valdez. I'm a boxing guy. This was a title fight, although you can argue with so many titles, Luke, in boxing. And and Lewis Blades being almost a quasi-number-one contender type fight, that it's almost on the level of the WBC Junior Lightweight Championship in boxing, right? There's 87,000 titles in boxing. But, I don't know, the Blade they were both equally unlikely. Blades more unlikely getting KO'd that viciously in that situation. But I'm going to go with Valdez as more impressive, Luke. It capped off a more impressive performance between the two. Lewis really only had that moment in a lot of ways. Uh, this was the cherry on top of Valdez's giant masterpiece painting where, where he just put on the performance of a career. And oh, by the way, I think this was even more vicious. This was even more brutal. I mean, that sound, Luke, 
when Burchelt got hit with that left hook, I mean, good Lord, you know, like we say this was in the gray area. It was in the gray area of me almost not wanting to come on and celebrate it on this show because it's so damn violent, reminding me of those 55 seconds when Manny Pacquiao got knocked cold by Marquez that I mentioned earlier where, you know, I'm not lying to you. I stood with my mouth dropped watching that TV screen, wondering if Manny was dead. And, it, you know, this had that kind of feel to it. So I'm going to say Valdez barely, but I want to spin it back you, to you and ask you this. I almost don't understand the Derek Lewis knockout. I had to replay it like 50 times. Look, it's so like non-traditional. How did he put him to sleep that viciously from that angle. Normally it's turning a guy's chin where they're just unconscious. He hit an uppercut just, I mean, that is it just lunch, lunch pale hands? I mean, how did that even happen? It's almost didn't make sense in the physics of it, Luke. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways to get hit. It's uh, obviously uh, the chin, uh, the temple, which can happen in the front as well, but the temple, and then kind of to the back of the head. Those are sort of the three main areas that most of the problems can happen. Um, the reason why that's such a big punch is because, A, it was well-timed, so there was an extension of power through it. Not full extension, but enough. There was a lot going on, so he had reached a part in the arc of the punch that was very, very powerful. It was, uh, and it landed, you know, not to the center, which you're talking about, on the side of the chin, but it landed with enough force that, it, that its location, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but certainly was enough to transfer it. And the other part is, dude, when you level change like that, you got to go. A level change is quick. It is fast. It is, it is explosive. You have, to, you have to close that distance. And that's the other part about it. For a double to work, for folks who have never wrestled before, and again, I'm no expert, but I do know this, how far away do you want to be when you shoot a double? You should be able to reach out and just touch him with your hand. That's how far you should be. He looked to me a little bit further away than that. And so if you can aim and you can get enough extension on a punch and the other person is bringing all that force with them and the two clash in the center, dude, really bad shit's going to (laughs) happen. Really bad shit. That's what you saw there. It's just normally you want to tuck your chin to avoid the rattling of the brain that causes the knockout. And it was like Blades' chin was almost tucked. I mean, maybe maybe uh, Derek caught him under the chin more than I realized from what the angle showed. But, look, like, Luke, you saw that in real time. I, I thought, like, he had a seizure and he just, like, passed out or something. I mean, it was like it was it was shocking, Luke. Shocking is the word. So, I mean, they're they're beautiful in different ways. First of all, both were scary. True or false, the scarier of the two knockouts was the Burchelt one. It took him a while to get up, dude. And the way his body fell on top of that almost didn't make sense with physics either. Like it just, but the body just gave up and fell face first. I mean, that was yikes. Like, yeah, I'm sure it's cold comfort for the loved ones of Curtis Blades who watched him to be like, oh well, the Burchell one was worse. It was still probably agonizing to watch a guy in that condition. So it was very, very scary. But the Burchell one was like, I got a little bit. I, I, I rarely get concerned when I watch this stuff, and even I was starting to get a little bit sideways with it. So that was the scarier of the two. I have to say, and, and also they were different. Like, Burchelt had knocked him down several times. Sorry, Valdez had knocked him down a couple times in the fight and was kind of beating him up. The left hook was landing. This one was sort of, I won't say out of nowhere, but there wasn't a preceding beating that happened beforehand. It was just all of a sudden. And so in that sense, they're very different kinds of vicious KOs. Yeah, this was, the Valdez one was more like, do you remember that fight, uh, what was it, last year when... Um, uh, Zepe- when Zepeda fought Baranchik on top rank on ESPN. Yes, yeah, so it was like that, seven that? or eight knockdowns. 
Yeah, and remember the final finish when Baranchik just got separated from his senses? It was just so flush and violent and sudden, and the fight's over. This felt a lot like that, where you're just like, good God. And it was obviously yeah. a longer sustained beating, as you mentioned, whereas the Blades one just, it, it was over. I mean, it, it happened and it was over. But uh, shout out to, to both guys. Shout out to both guys who took the brunt of that and are now, you know, back and doing as well as you can. Look, Luke, you know, you, I mean, you you can't clean it up, Luke. You know, you're still not meant to do this, right? You can't what clean you it mean? up. You know, we can argue over stoppages too early, leaving it. But at the end of the day, this is still possible. And it's part of what we love, and it gets us close to the cringe level too. But vicious, great theater on Saturday. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, people can pick what they want. One was heavyweight. One was, you know, almost 100 and well, actually half their size, right? 130. So, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, there's just going to be very different kinds of KOs, but... It was a good night for combat sports fans. And one last time, shouts to BC for putting everyone's radar. But I still got to say, BC, I went back and looked at the interview you did with Valdez. It's still like the audience, you know, they can say what they want. And your call was correct. But I don't know how much they like Mexican boxing, bro. I don't know how much they like. Hey, it. bro, I'll, I'll take quality over quantity every day of the week, Luke. That's the, the history of my career compared to yours, Luke. Okay. Yeah, uh, no, I've been doing a lot of the same sacrifices. And then I realized I'd rather watch people. To, I'd rather have people watch my shit. So. I went with big topic stuff. All right. I'd rather have you watch me on the show when I speak rather than like, you know, emailing your plumber back and, you know, yeah. Yes, that's right. Uh, okay. With that in mind, let's go now to where you get to ask us questions. Let's go to DMs from Donks, BC. Do I have these? Yes, I do. Very good. All right. Uh, as always, we put up a Instagram post on Sundays where you can then leave a bunch of questions for us. A few will get picked and we answer them here. All right, BC, let's get right to it. Andrew D. Cabello asks, how much of an indictment is it on the heavyweight division that Derek Lewis is sneakily becoming an all-time great in the division? Well, that's a shitty way to ask the question, but he did ask yeah. it, so we have to answer it, BC. Uh, it's not an indictment on the lack of quality of the division, even though historically, yes, the heavyweight division has been a, a very barren cupboard. We're in a we're in a pretty damn good place right now, right? And we were in a pretty damn good place in the original rise of Kane and Junior and that sort of mini era then as well. But historically, it's an empty cupboard. It's more of an indictment on what happens when you take 265-pound men that are jacked and put four-ounce gloves on their hands and know that anything can happen at any given time, Luke, okay? Also, as we laid out to open the show, Derek Lewis is really carving out a very unique run to where he is right now. So uh, you hang around long enough and you knock enough people out, you're going to end up, you know, close to that record. And he's special because of his power. But I don't think this necessarily says we're dealing with a shit division on the level of women's featherweight, women's flyweight. Um, you know, maybe it's the most shit men's division in the history of the UFC. But uh, right now, it, it ain't awful, Luke, right? I've seen worse. No, I've seen I mean, he's, cabbage. I mean, here's Correa. the thing: Blades, Curtis Blades, and his ability to wrestle at the level that he does by MMA historical standards for the heavyweight division is very, very high, very high. Right? So you can't say that Lewis is beating scrubs and then just you know he's doing the Kirk Cousins thing where he's going out there in garbage time. You're down fifty to thirteen. Yeah, he might throw for two touchdowns and get the the points, but you know what is he really? You doing? like it? You like right? it? Uh, you you like that. You like that. Um, here's what I would say, though. And this is the thing I bring up to folks all the time who aren't really, who don't watch a lot of combat sports, which I'm not saying is about the truth about the person asking the question, but rather 
combat sports is a little different from sports where there's this argument where folks make, they're like, oh, if we could just get the best stick and ball athletes from basketball, football, whatever in the United States, how much better would the heavyweight division be? And there's no denying it would substantially increase the level and um, quality of fights you get at the heavyweight division. But there's also a component that has not necessarily anything to do with athleticism, which is like this gameness, right? Pursuit of the fight despite the physical consequences of people who just kind of have a certain mentality where they can do this for a living. It's not automatic and not all the best athletes have it. Lewis is one of those situations where I don't know how many athletic gifts he has, although he does have big power, but he's got all the rest of those conditions willing to do violence, willing to take punishment, all these kinds of things that a lot of premier athletes just would not be well situated for. Michael Westbrook may have you know, gotten a fight uh, during training practice, but he tried him, man. You could see he just never was nearly as good at it, um, even though he had like uh, also composite belts in, in judo and I think in jiu-jitsu as well. So it, he, Lewis is a special character. Indeed, indeed, Luke. Well said. All right. Let's go on to the next. At Dalton underscore Smith underscore 23. What would be a crazier story, BC? Nate Diaz somehow wins the 155 belt, or Derek Lewis wins the heavyweight championship. This will be 2021, early 2022. This year, this era, this time for Nate Diaz, I think it would be Diaz, Luke, because as much as I sort of made that case, you can call it misguided, whatever, a couple weeks back, saying, hey, imagine if he got the Poirier shot and cut down the lightweight, and everybody's like, BC, Dana's never going to give him that chance again. I think it'd be, uh, you know, Nate Diaz, because as we just laid out in the last question and to open the show... Uh, you got a puncher's chance, and that puncher's chance gets very escalated in the heavyweight division, and Derek Lewis is on some kind of run here of of uh, knocking people out that are you know seemingly better than him on paper. He's on the doorstep, Luke, not necessarily in the on-deck circle, but he's on the doorstep of this heavyweight title picture. That is much more likely than even a celebrity like Nate Diaz, uh, you know, A, backdooring into a title shot because of his name, and B, actually winning it, right? Dude, I mean... Derek Lewis is on a four-fight win streak against top-tier competition. Nate Diaz hasn't had a four-fight win streak since 2008. Um, Nate has fought and defeated very good fighters. He is worthy of everything that he has, make no mistake about it. But he is much further back in either division uh, than than D- Lewis at the moment. Dude, Lewis is putting in work against like legitimate, <laughs> legitimate names who have legitimate ability. It's not even it's not even close to being the same. Diaz would be a much bigger, crazier story. Plus, you've got the fact that he butted heads with UFC management for so long. To get Nate Diaz even another title shot, do you think it'd be more likely to come through Connor winning the lightweight title, Nate agreeing to go back down to lightweight once more for the trilogy, or Kamaru just, you know, emptying the cupboard in this division, Nate getting one more big win and then, you know, them them making that for, for celebrity purposes? I would say the best choice would be it doesn't matter if Connor or Poirier wins it. Um, they could do it that way. And honestly, this, this is how we got the big fight the last time. They call him on short notice. You know, you yeah. want a title shot yeah. against Connor McGregor on short notice? I bet he'd take it. You know, maybe not. I don't know. But that's certainly a possibility there as well. All right. Uh, from Trex underscore 3OH, Ohio, I guess. As MMA ages, will the sport take a hit when female fighters show obvious signs of being punch drunk? or bad CTE stories later in life? 
So that's an interesting question. Something I've thought about recently, Luke. You know, we really haven't seen that yet. It's not, you know, we've seen, look, women's boxing had that uptick. You remember in the 90s, we had like Christy Martin on pay-per-view and Layla Ali and Mia St. John and Ann Wolf had periods of being, you know, somewhat notable. But we haven't really seen yet the 55-year-old retired women's fighter who's had a 15-year career who talks like Tommy Hearns. We haven't seen it yet, Luke. Um uh, you know, it's easy to knee jerk and say if and when we do see that, could that have, you know, maybe that won't have an impact. I don't know. I mean, look, Luke, could you ask yourself this? Are we not seeing as many Americans, especially American heavyweights, right, in boxing? We're seeing so many, you know, Burt Sugar, the late bo- boxing scribe, always had that line that who are the next, who's the next great American heavyweight? He's playing linebacker for the Ravens, right? We've heard that story and reference a million times. Uh, we're seeing, it's more likely that we're seeing guys like Deontay Wilder who fail in other sports and end up, you know, coming into boxing this way. Are we not seeing that because this generation grew up seeing Muhammad Ali with, with Parkinson's and seeing some of these other heroes from back then, Luke, in, in kind of disarray now because they dared to be great at such an obscene level. I mean, look, as fans, we want everybody to do what Roberto Duran and Tommy Hearns and all these guys did and fight all the best one after another, then fight them a second and third time. Um, but there's certainly a freaking price to pay physically for that. How much do you believe, A, Luke, that Ali and Tommy Hearns and these guys who really can't speak in front of a microphone has turned away the American athlete. And in turn, back to Trex's question, if it happened in with females, would that stop the female MMA boom at all? It's, a, it's an interesting question. I, we're going to have to – no one knows. We can say what we want. We really don't know how the public is going to take it. My, my thought, BC, is that with at least with respect to the women in the question – it does kind of echo what you hear from other people who want to prevent women's MMA, right? So before women's MMA, for, I, I remember when dude, they would air women's MMA on TV. This is true. Like Gina Carano used to fight under the, I think the Kedzie fight was under these circumstances. It was three minute rounds, you know, and the rules were a little bit different. It was only like getting women's MMA expanded to five minute rounds on par with the men. That was considered a big achievement, you know, 15 years ago or whatever it was. Um, so there's always been this chorus of folks who are like, you can't do women's MMA because what will happen if a woman is bleeding? What happens if a woman gets her arm broken? And it turns out like all those things, you know, may, maybe they were coming from a good place, but they just did not end up being true. Folks did not make some kind of gender exception for that kind of a thing in terms of their moral uh, horror or their revulsion at the product. It, ch- it t- tends to be similar across both. And in fact... Getting women over has been much more of a boon in terms of expanding the audience and the palette of fight fans. So is it possible that on the other side, if they're affected and you see a woman who's got really bad effects, that the the, the worm might turn in the other direction? It's possible, or it could just keep being what it's always been, BC, which is that uh, the things you think that they'll make a gender exception for in terms of their horror, it never really comes true. Yeah, and also I I think... You know, this may play into that argument, which I don't always fully believe that, you know, long term MMA is safer than boxing. Look, CTE is CTE, Luke. And, uh, you know, getting knocked cold in MMA a bunch of times can't, ha- you know, it's all the same in the end in terms of damage. But there is something to you see more veteran boxers with the really bad slurred speech than you do MMA. Is that because boxing you take more sustained damage to the head? Yeah, I mean, you just have a narrower target. It's above the waist, you know, and even then. 
it's pretty narrow about where you want to hit. I mean, you, yeah, Canelo went to the arms against Callum Smith, I guess, but you get the idea. It's that's not usually a target you're looking for. So the the narrowness of what you're experiencing. I mean, I, I interviewed uh, Dan Hooker about the fight uh, with Barboza and whether his corner should have stopped it and blah blah blah. And he was like, nah, because I was getting beat up all over. It wasn't just my head. I was getting hit to the body and the legs and the back and blah, blah, blah. It was distributed. We'll see in the end how much that matters, but there is kind of an argument about that. All right. From Max Block Photography, BC. Uh, it's actually asked to me, but uh, I'm curious about you as well. Have you had a chance to watch the new Patrice O'Neill documentary yet? If so, what would you think? By chance, have you seen this? I have not. Neither have I, actually. Um, I didn't realize it was out yet, so I apologize. Um, BC, you know, we as homework one week early on, I, I had put in, uh, which is not even his best work, but his most recent one, before, before his death, I think, the, the special he did, uh, Elephant in the Room. Uh, Patrice O'Neill was the best comic I ever saw. I saw him probably a dozen times when I was living in New York City because he was out every Friday. You could go see him. And uh, Saturday as well. And... Um, I think he was a totally bold visionary and uh, uh, also, you know, a raving misogynist. But you can be all of those things and still be, uh, you know, a, a more complete whole. Uh, clean comics, look, clean comics don't become this legendary. You know, they, no, they, they make movies I mean, and they make sitcoms, but they don't become this legendary. Yeah, I mean, who are the legends? Carlin, Lenny Bruce, Bill Hicks. You yeah. know, I think Doug Stanhope, but he's sort of like underground a little bit. But Patrice, dude, Patrice was a guy that like, I'm telling you, man, every time you hear, or listen to any other comic talk about Patrice and they talk about him from the pre, like well, the, seemingly from the position that they realize that he's up there and they're down here in terms of ability. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, ex I'm excited. You got me so into him that I'm excited to check out this doc. So, yes, definitely. So I apologize to Max, but both Brian and I are lame and have not seen it. But we well, will then let me let me spin this question, Luke. My wife got me into that fantastically acclaimed uh, Amazon Prime series, Mrs. Maisel, which is based on a female comic in the 1950s in New York and has a lot of like Jewish culture in the show. I, I talked to actually Jay about it. He's a huge oh, yeah. fan as well. And uh, Lenny Bruce is actually a character in that show. Um, have you seen this yet, Luke? Because it's freaking brilliant no but years ago someone gave me as a gift um like a best of book that was a story of lenny bruce's life and uh, there's uh, there's original lenny bruce material in it and i listened to it it's not as good as you might imagine it to be he wasn't like rip roaring as funny but what he was was absolutely against the censoriousness of the time i mean saying outrageous shit even by today's standards saying some outrageous shit knowing it would get him arrested and he would just do it anyway. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, they kind of play some of his real life stuff into the show. But look, I advise you to check this series out. There's three seasons on Prime and they're filming a fourth, I believe, now. It's amazing. It's Luke, watch this shit. It's about stand-up comedy. Would you watch it? I'll watch it. I'll watch it. All right, sure. last but not least, BC, from Ghost, Third Were, Third, Thord. I don't know what the fuck this dude's name is. The official MK Burger would have what on it? And how oh, would it be prepared? Wow. By the way, like a lot of people DMing me about the official MK beer. They have all these great ideas of different flavors based on our personality. We should continue that discussion one day. But the MK okay. burger, Luke. All right. Here's the first and most important question, BC. Does this burger have one or two patties? Because I feel like if you can't decide that, you can't go anywhere else. All great things in life come in twos, Luke, right? Co-hosts, breasts, <laughs> uh... 
Uh, Passes? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, testicles. Yeah, come on, Luke, right? You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, All bad okay. things come in threes. Celebrity deaths, vasectomy needles. You know the deal. Let's that. do this. Okay, so here Luke. we go. Ready? So two patties, I agree. Cheese, American cheddar. No, I got to put some. Oh, you hate blue cheese, don't you? Blue cheese is my favorite no, thing ever. I like blue cheese, but I don't know if I. Okay. Uh, jalapenos, yes or no? I'll do. Uh, so I, I'm a I'm a wimp with hot stuff, but I love jalapeno on a burger. So, yes, let's do it, Luke. Okay. Uh, lettuce, tomato, onion. Yeah, damn right. But it's got it. I like a big fat tomato, like a like a slice, but like, like a, a beefsteak tomato. Yeah, damn right. Luke. Yeah. Um, okay. Mayo, mustard. What are we putting on this? Like some flavored mayo, something really funky and, and special. Luke, okay? What about what about like uh, what about like a thousand island sauce? I'd be into that, but there's got to be something special on it that makes it an MK burger. I don't want a fried egg or anything like that, but there's got to be something like that. Not avocado, right? <laughs> Things like blue cheese are just extras, but what's the main thing that makes it an MK burger? I'm not putting a hot dog on there, Luke. All I was right? going to say I'll drag my balls across the bun, but I don't know how, how many of those we'd sell. Um, I don't know what the special sauce would be. Would it be like soaking the beef in the MK beer or something? I don't know. Cream to the cream of some young boy. Yes, yes. Yeah. Luke. What would be the special sauce? Luke? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that answer would be. We have to figure that out. But I got to tell you, figuring out a menu, an MK menu, we need to do that. We're, we're, we're at like halfway there. Uh, but we have some work to do on this. We should start an MK food truck that becomes the official food truck of Brendan Schaub's food truck diaries. <laughs> you know what, dude? That's an amazing. See, Showtime synergy. Corporate yes. synergy. And then the yes. whole time you order, they'll just heckle you and shit on you for what you order. That's how it has to go. <laughs> I uh, want all my portions to be thick, Luke. Thick. Yes. Right? With triple C's. Okay. BC, yes. with that in mind, good sir, it is time now for me to hand the show over to you to do your best. Thank you very much, Luke. This is the most awaited segment in all of combat sports talk shows that appear only on digital. It is... Have you seen this shit? All right, Luke, we scour the globe. You know all that. Highs, lows, good, bad, ugly, in between. In the world of combat sports and beyond. Luke, I, wa- I know we just talked a lot about top-ranked boxing on Saturday and, and Burchelt's loss to Oscar Valdez, but one of the top-ranked social people picked up the knockout on their phone ringside. Luke, I check out this, this video, and it really shows you how brutal this ish is. Dude, this was bad. Oh. That was bad. Wow, dude! It sounded like it legit. It legit sounded like he. I don't know that like he got that there was a construction accident between two objects clashing or something. You're right. It did have like anyone that's that's been right next to a car accident. It's so loud and jarring that you're like, holy shit! it, It had that. Luke, are you okay with his celebration? I am because I know what Valdez was coming from for this fight. The the emotion the upset like this was his the masterpiece of his career but he came close to stepping on Burchell I'll say this if it was a slightly different circumstance I think you could probably take him to task but did you see his speech afterward like uh when he was being interviewed by the ESPN desk he was like everybody counted me out odds makers analysts blah 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 and he was like dude don't ever let anyone tell you you know, what you can be in this life. And you could tell it meant a lot to him. So I'll, I I think he deserves a pass here. 
I think he does. Yeah, he had said on this show, and he echoed it again after the fight, that's Julio Cesar Chavez, who does Mexican TV for ESPN uh, Deportes, you know, predicted a Burchelt knockout. And Valdez was like, instead of getting mad at my hero for saying that, that was my motivation to prove him and everyone else wrong. So Hmm. love that. One more thing from this fight. Check out this absolutely iconic photo. I'm not sure if it was Mikey Williams, the great top-ranked photographer. I couldn't see a a credit, but check out this photo. Luke, if I can get this framed in my office here, a poster of this, this is one of the better shots I've seen in a long time uh gaff we don't we don't have the photo all right hey great that's right sorry uh, hey, could sorry you, folks could you, but, set, uh, could you set that one up with higher expectations it was face? a 1b a minich 1b on the have you seen this shit email uh do you have that no bc's like dude this fucking photo is like the motherfucking sistine chapel i'm about all to right. blow your minds uh yes. we ain't got shit Yes, uh, or although there's nothing in Capone's vault. All right, well, check out Top Rank's uh, you know, uh, Twitter feed. You'll find it. Thank it uh, just set it up. Burchelt is sitting on the stool being attended to. No, no, to no, and- not, not the love one. I'm talking about Burchelt face down, referee waving oh. the fight off. And when Valdez did that run around the ring, he leaped over Burchelt's body and put a fist in the air, Luke. The timing and the angle of the photo is just I see. Epic. I know. It's, it's, it, it was a, it was a, it, listen, it was not a normal celebration, but these were not normal circumstances. Thank you very much. All right, UFC Fight Night in Vegas on the undercard. Luke, Jamal Emmers had back spasms backstage, so this was Chaz Kelly right, so after he entered the cage. From our production room. And Jamal Emmers is backstage and suffering from back spasms. His body is shutting down on him right now. And, you know, this is obviously a very awkward situation for Chaz Kelly, who just made the walk. He's ready to get in there and fight. All right, I may have queued up the wrong video there, Luke. Anyway, uh, well, this this segment is going really well. Yeah, can we? All right, this segment is shit. Anyway, it's Joe Martinez, a fantastic uh, ring announcer who we both respect, uh, basically saying, Chaz Kelly, your opponent can't make it. So this was a rare, weird thing, Luke. Very rare to see a guy come to the cage and then his fight is canceled. But Chaz Skelly still gave us a highlight. Let's play this audio. Did you see his karaoke session for the media, Luke? No. In fact, sometimes that's not right to do. Sometimes you got to make some love and fucking give her some smooches too. Sometimes you got to squeeze. And sometimes you got to say please. And sometimes you got to say, hey, I'm gonna fuck you softly. I'm gonna screw you gently. I'm gonna hump you sweetly. I'm gonna ball you discreetly. Then you say, hey, I bought you flowers. And then you say, wait a minute, Sally. Okay, I think I got shit. something in my teeth. Can you get it out for me? That's fucking teamwork. There you go. That's a little. That's a little. Yeah. You're not moved by that, Luke? Listen, I'm 41. Aren't I? Isn't it a law if you're 41, you're not allowed to laugh at Tenacious D anymore? Isn't that how it works? All right, all right, Luke. Let's keep it going here. What a what a dirt hole segment this has turned out to be. <laughs> hey, Luke. Uh, good knockout on the UFC undercard. Uh, Ayman, Amin, Amin Zahabi. I should probably get it right. Look Ooh. at this right hand from hell against yes. Draco Rodriguez. How do you say this guy's name, Luke? I think you, I think you got it. I don't know. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, not for Oz, I'll tell you that. Eamon Zahabi, this was a good-looking shot. You know, Luke, he kind of looks like a Canadian journalist, right? Maybe, a little bit. Uh, but I think, pro- by the way, he was out for nearly two years before this fight. So we're talking about this Broner thing, and it's like, oh, well, you know, he's coming back after a long layoff. Yes, that certainly should limit what you think someone could reasonably do. But for just for reference sake, before that fight, uh, he hadn't fought since May of 2019. Yeah, about two years. You know, you can go out there and perform. And that was against a tough opponent, too. Yeah, it kind of looks like, what, Bronstetter, maybe? Kind of looks like him a little bit. All right, Luke, uh, also on this undercard, Juicy J, Julian Erosa, erasing that hick, Nate Landwehr, with a flying <laughs> knee. Your thoughts? <laughs> that hick. Jesus. Uh, yeah, this is nice. Fake the left and went, or went with the right, I believe. Or which, I, I have to watch it again, but yeah. Really Nate good was like, let me bang, bro, to the ref afterwards. Were you down with Mark Smith's stoppage here? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. That dude was – he was – you can't tell from that angle what he looked like, but I, I Mark usually makes some pretty good calls. All right. Landwehr broke out, broke out the mullet, which drew the ire of you, Luke, on the old Twitter Well, I just don't web, understand. So people are like, oh, I have an ironic mullet. Dude, you just have a mullet. <laughs> it's it's just more Budweiser. It's not a four. I, I don't I don't understand. You know, it's like if you if you went to a party with it, okay, it's one thing, right? Oh, I'm gonna have an ironic mullet for the party. Okay, well that's you know that's funny for the gag. Ha ha. You're just walking around with this shit every day now. I don't quite yeah, understand that. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, uh, Luke. Finally, uh, backstage before her co-main event, Anna Kunitskaya was warmed up with uh, her significant other, Tiago Santos. Um, Luke, I, this is uh, that's pre- pretty intimate, Luke. No, it's not. It's pretty normal. You're just a fucking weirdo. I mean, is this um? Would you would you pay to watch this on pay per view, Luke? No, no, you're just weird. This is normal. All right, all right. Well, hey, hey it worked. You know, she got the win there over old. She uh, got Ketlin the win, Vieira. which I did not think she was gonna. Wow. She did. Wow, she went to full mount there against Mahetta. That's uh, crucifix, that's okay. crucifix, buddy. Yeah, 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 wow, okay. That's where I might end up after all these jokes, Luke. Okay, uh, hey, let's move on over to uh, DAZN Boxing from London. Check out this trainer trying to steal a drink of water from the fighter on the undercard, Luke. No, no, you don't, brother. You got a damn shield on blocking your face. And he pulled down his mask, too. You that thirsty there, guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, do you walk here from the fucking desert? What the, what, uh, hydrate before you come outside. What the fuck? All right. Hey, great knockout in the club scene. Boxing from Orlando. Check out this first round stoppage. Welterweight Cesar Francis sending Gonzalo Carlos Daleria to uh, the the, the deep end of the pool there, Luke. Wow. How would you how would you define club level in boxing? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, regional MMA where it could rain in the cage and sometimes yeah. the cage floor opens up and the undertaker reaches out and grabs a soul. Yeah, it's, it's on that level, Luke. Okay. It's on. Good to know. All right, thank you. Shout out to Tim Boxale for the footage here. All right. LFA 100 over the weekend, Luke. Steve Wynn with a beautiful right hand against this Juarez fellow. Oh, <sighs> this Woo. was a nice one. I watched this one earlier. Great setup right to the chin. face first. Wow. Pack him up. Get him out of there. That is it. Uh, Luke, can we get a wellness check alert on your good buddy, Tony Ferguson? He was attempting on this video that he put on social media to bite his own ear, Luke. Um, um, 
I don't know if I understand snap jitsu as well as you do. Um, this is him trying to whip around to get his own ear. Yeah, he's trying to bite his own ear, Luke. Um, yeah. Okay. Remember that time at the 229 open workout that he ran down off the stage and gave you that, uh, what was it, a baseball? No, it was a, um, it was like a thing to work on your grip. Have you used it? Yeah. That's weird. That's pretty weird. Okay, Street Fight of the Week, Luke. Uh, some people have hands, and some people also have a new Samsung. Check out this KO via cell phone. Oh, yeah, Luke. What the fuck? Uh, I'm going to fire my iPhone 11 at you next time you piss me off. Dude, Luke, Street Fight, look, 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 look at that ass. Huh? <laughs> So shirtless guy talking a lot of junk, and this cool dude in the background's like, "All right, I got you." Yeah. Wait. Oh, so wait. He got hit from behind. No, straight up. He got hit in the chin with a phone. Collect call from hell, Bill. Uh, Play it one more time uh, as I look at this man's disgusting butt cheeks. <laughs> oh. oh yeah. Dude, what the yeah. fuck is that phone made out of? Vibranium? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, plutonium. You can't just buy that in a drugstore. And then one more time with the man's ass. I've seen enough man ass today to last me for a good year. Yeah, yeah. You could stick coins in there, Luke. You can, you can, yeah, you can reach in and get a prize. All right, Luke, uh, let's move over to weird weightlifting tricks. These are your people. What is going on here? A couple guys in a horse face mask with some... Oh, Fire? is this uh, is this Juju Mufu? Juju Mufu? Yes, it is. Uh, this looks like some pro wrestling bullshit, Luke. What is this? Yeah, these guys are uh, they're like a mix of pro wrestling, um, in, in the in the weightlifting world. When I say weightlifting, I don't mean Olympic. I mean like just lifting weights of any kind. Yeah, they're a mix of that. Plus, they're like stuntmen. Plus, it's like jackass. Plus, it's like uh, actual lifting. It, they're a they're a weird and interesting combo, or it's a it's a it's a nerdy looking dude, and then this big uh, buff dude I, who I think is on. Let me see here real quickly. I can't quite tell who, which one he might be. I believe it's the one on the right here momentarily. Uh, what are they spraying? No, the one on, on the then? left. Excuse me. What are they spraying? I, dude, it's a it. Listen, it's it's very meat headed humor. All right, this you know is one I'm of saying? the worst segments we've ever done of this on this show. I hey, you really pick these, motherfucker. Over. Yeah, this is not good. All right, let's move over to other weightlifting tricks. Luke, I call this a double squat. Is this impressive? What is this, Luke? Is I haven't taken a double walk? squat since that time I ate back to back meatball grinders, Luke. I mean, that is, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just circus tricks, right? So he's going to squat and overhead press. Is this yeah. impressive? It looks impossible. It's certainly impressive. It's about, I mean, it's hard to tell how the bar is loaded. It looks like he has 225 or so, maybe 240, 50, maybe two, like 275 on the high bar. And then he's got, those must be fake weights because it looks like he has 315 in his hands. I don't know that I believe he's overhead pressing three or overhead squatting 315 but yeah people just trying to get followers on instant yeah. you know yeah whatever all right luke uh one of our listeners named damo slid in this week and said uh he hopes this is how you deal with homeless people in your front yard luke i have a fence well you know it, it would be that man's dream to to live with you one day maybe you can work on this with him what do you think yeah this dude right here who's doing this is fucking strong by the way yeah. Very strong. That, what does that guy weigh? About 215 right there? 195? The guy doing this? I don't know. No, no the, he's strong. The, but the other dude? Oh, I don't know. Let's say 180, 185. And he might be more. Yeah. That's impressive. Right. 
And then to, and then to right, hold Luke. it? Yeah, enough of that. Yeah, he's strong. He's strong. Uh, Scorpion King tryouts came to the strip clubs this week, Luke, for the for the movie sequel. Let's see what we got here. Oh, this is a at-home poll, Luke. Okay. <laughs> Spider oh, pig. Spider yeah, pig. She'll never, she'll never walk or dance again, Luke. Okay. Uh, let's move over to the regional MMA soon, Luke. We've talked about how anything can happen. Turns out this guy turned into the ultimate warrior. They call this roid range. Guy on the left gets the stoppage, and watch what happens next, Luke. He goes after the ref. Oh, and then the corner. Oh, gee. Oh, shit. Yikes. Beating these guys like they stole something from him, Luke. Bro, sometimes it gets, I'm telling you, regional MMA, it's cl- club level MMA. Yeah. That's where, that's the, that's the real shit right there. You're allowed you to do PCP sanitized. in the locker room. Yeah, people snorting crystal meth before they walk to the cage. There's no, yeah, this is great. All right. Wow, what a shitty segment today is. Hey, Luke, staged or real? Check out what this drunk chick started by taking a fall here. (laughs) (laughs) I think she was grabbing onto his swim trunks and then she pantsed Ah, him, Luke. And then knocked him in the the pool. The fall looked real. Oh, that falls super real, dude. Her ankle turns. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's hilarious, dude. Luke, remember all that time I told you I met Joe Rogan once and he's like strangely short in person? You're like, no, he's not. No, he's not. Check out this picture from his interview with Francis Ngannou, Luke. Yeah, I'm sure that's not Photoshopped, fuckface. <laughs> all right, let's roll on. Hey, Regis Progre, you know him, Rougarou. Uh, How about this relatable tweet, Luke? So I was just randomly thinking, and I hit some horrendous-looking chicks in my lifetime. I at least got 30 bodies that I wish I could just erase. Don't judge me. I wasn't always rich. We've all been there. Luke, have we really all been there? I don't, I don't think I have quite 30 bodies in that respect, but let he who is without sin cast the first stone. <laughs> You got to love the honesty of old Rougarou here. Well done, Regis. All right. Uh, Luke, let's move on to the bar. Uh, I think this is pre-COVID. Either way, it's friggin' creepy. What would you do if you saw this, Luke? Is that a toe? Oh, my God. What is wrong with these honkies? I mean, what are we doing? Coyote ugly indeed, Luke. Okay. Dude, how do you? And Bourbon Street. How do you not set these two motherfuckers on fire? Yeah, yeah, that is great. Uh, One more for you and the worst have you seen this shit in company history. Here we go. Check out this party foul and a face full of nachos, Luke. I can't believe they're white. All right. Uh, looks like that scene. It can't hardly wait, right? You know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You ever fall? You ever fallen face first into like a cake, like you know something no. almost like cartoonishly awkward? No, no, I haven't, Luke. You know, I did just fall on my face with this shitty segment. I guess I'll have to do better next week. But that's the shit that we got. Yeah. The, uh, the trick is, I've learned, BC. It. The trick is, if you call for a like a photo, you have to send them the photo ahead of time that's the key oh i did i did that luke okay we'll have we'll be talking afterwards all right? okay these, all right hey I... uh, what what Manich, i'm not against you okay you're on my good side all right speaking of people on not on my good side luke it's been a it's been a few days now you all into this uh this uh remington steel rebrand for jay what does he call himself uh 
Pennington James, you, did you download the single on iTunes? You into this, Luke? No, no, of course I didn't. Why would I do that? I don't hate my ears. Um, I, I've watched the extended music video on YouTube. I, I'm I'm decently impressed. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, BC, time for odds and ends. What do you have for odds and or ends? Hey, little upset at DAZN Boxing over the weekend in London on an Eddie Hearn card. Look, there was this welterweight prospect. Josh Kelly goes by the nickname Pretty Boy Josh or PBK. Uh, 12-0 and former Olympian. He stepped up in class, Luke, against David Avenison. And he got sent to hell. It's a mild upset, but here's the deal. Josh Kelly kind of fancied himself a white Mayweather, has the Olympic ring tattoo on his midriff. I believe we have highlights of the stoppage here, or at least I did send them in. Anyone? Anyone? Fry? Bueller? <laughs> Anyone? Aaron? <laughs> Manich. Hey. There it is. There it is. Anyway, uh, look, so... Pretty Boy Josh was on the undercard of Anthony Joshua's loss to Andy Ruiz, Luke, and he got a very bad draw against the other Ray Robinson, and it kind of showed you he might not be the guy. Well, he got straight up imploded and exposed here. Uh, Avenison rallied from a slow start, dropped him in the sixth, and then finally they threw in the towel. Kelly was bloody, beaten, exhausted. Uh, look, it's not new that we get a you know quick-fisted, good-looking English boy that 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 kind of claims he has next, and then turns out to be you know an imposter. But this was kind of tough to see. I fancied myself a Josh Kelly fan. Here's the uh, the stoppage. Thank you, Manich. And uh, Avin Easton, you got to give him credit. He just kept coming. Ooh, Adam Booth had to throw the towel. Yeah, he was bloody, wobbly, was out of gas. So this is actually a big win for Evan Easton, who's a fringe player in the welterweight title scene. He's going to get a big fight from it, but it was too much too soon for 12-1-1 uh, Josh Kelly here in a uh, tough setback for a guy who uh, has such flashy offensive skills. But, Luke, if you don't got it when it comes to the backbone, you don't got it. So tough yeah. to see for all you PBK fans out there. Wow. Uh, I'll actually call a bit of an audible. I had sent in a different odds and ends, but there's no need. It was there was last minute fight cancellations of the UFC. So you mentioned the one with Chaz Scali. There was a bunch of other ones that fell through, including the one we wanted to see, which was Pena and uh, Jakar Close. They're going to reschedule it. Um, so it was weird. They had 15 fights, then they were down to 12. But just as a calling an audible here, one thing that they did during the broadcast, which was a little bit strange, I'm not really mad at, it, more just confused by. Um, they aired a Black History segment uh, for Black History Month, and the the central theme of the package was uh, Michael Chandler, who had adopted an African-American, a black son. And to be clear, the story is quite nice, touching. Uh, we should all be so lucky to have a as uh, dutiful and loyal and loving of a father as Michael Chandler is to his son, and from what we can tell. It's not about the story per se. It was just really weird because it's like, I have no idea what on earth that has to do with black history. Um, quite literally nothing. It, it's, it has no relationship to it whatsoever. And it was just kind of curious that they would air something like that. I mean, here's what I think they were trying to do. They were trying to do a situation where like, how can we talk about black history month while, you know, giving light to somebody who's a contemporary fighter that we're trying to push. And I think they kind of came up with that story because it is touching, but it's relevant for like adoption stories or, uh, you know, sort of other kinds of um, uh, circumstances, but not like black history. It has literally nothing to do with it. And 
I thought that was a bit of a missed opportunity. One of the criticisms the UFC has had over the years that they've faced that even they internally will acknowledge is true, although they're much better about it now than they have been historically, but one of the things they've struggled with is kind of telling their own story because the company has changed hands, and the big one was, of course, from SEG to the Zufa era. A lot of stuff gets lost. There's a lot of fan turnover. Telling the stories of what has happened before, again, they've made massive improvements, but it's still kind of a lingering issue. I thought that you know you couldn't promote anybody new, but it, to me it was a bit of a moment where they could have told the stories of Maurice Smith, Eugene Jackson, Pete Spratt, Ed Nine Millimeter Ratcliffe, Shoney Carter, you know, uh, there's a lot. All, the guys who who were pioneers, basically in early era UFC before it was, um, you know, before the Ultimate Fighter. But you know, you live and learn, I guess. Yeah, I saw I saw some legitimate criticism, Luke. Uh, Andreas Hell, uh, uh, journalist in combat sports, I re- respect a lot, was a shout out uh, negatively there. Um, it felt pretty tone deaf, despite a good story from the Chandler family. I agree with you. Hey, Luke, Reggie Jackson just came in, just opened the door. He's a star. Look at this guy, Luke. Does Reggie Jackson? Right? Does Reggie Jackson? Is he neutered? Yeah, he's he's, he's got he's, he's the look at this guy. He's the best man. Yeah, show him, Reg. Yeah, baby. Woo. <laughs> Do not abuse this animal, you fucking he's gorilla. He's a good dude. He's the best. I mean, I think he's probably my best friend in the whole world. How how old he's is Reggie? He's about a year. He's handsome. He's mischievous. Oh, he's, he's young. You know. Yeah, yeah. He's you know. All my pets are guy. old. All my pets are like nine or ten years old or older. No, I got three of them. He's the second youngest, but uh, maybe he's a year and a half. Luke, I don't know, but uh, he knows how to open doors like your daughter. So uh, does he scratch? Uh, he bites and scratches everybody but me, Luke. He chews on my beard, which is weird, but uh, he loves me, so you know it's great. Right. Like, dude, I want to see gotta... this. Hilarious! I want to see this cat smack the fuck out of you. No, no, no! Look at Reggie. Beat his ass, Reggie! Yeah, yeah. Don't take that shit. Yeah, yeah. There you go, dude. There you go. All right, uh, all right BC. Well, you, if you want to see more Reggie Jackson, you should like and subscribe to this channel. That's a fact. Uh, if you want to follow us on social, we're everywhere. Uh, Morning Combat is consistently the name throughout, so you can just look that up, of course, Morning with a K, but BC and I have slightly different names between Twitter and Instagram, so take a look at it there, uh, screenshot it, and then give us a follow. If you want to email the show for either fan submissions, Dead Wrong, or anything else, morningcombat at gmail.com, that is the place to get in any inquiries or submissions, okay? If you want to try Showtime, you certainly can, showtime.com for a 30-day free trial, and then after that, you can pay $4.99, I think, for roughly six months if you want to try out Bellator, which, of course, starts in April. We also have a store, store.show.com, for some MK merch. Uh, you can't buy any cats on there that I'm aware of, but, you know. <laughs> oh, God, that was get, get his ass. Yes, get his ass. Get his ass, Reggie. <laughs> the MK Litter Box uh, cover will be coming soon to our merch site. That was look. I think he drew blood. That was great. All right. Good. Uh, anything? Any final thoughts? We get out of here, BC. Uh, no, no. That I, I don't. I'm done. I'm done, Luke. All right. That's it. We oh, never did see your photo. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we will be back on Wednesday. So thank you guys so much for watching and for Brian Campbell, CBS Sports, Showtime, Mocha. My name is Luke Thomas. May all of your gains be loyal. <laughs>